What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin, so many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help, as food banks like the Ozarks Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. I also invite you to follow me on social media like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All of those links are in the show notes. This is actually part two of my discussion with Nick Cunningham on the book Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. If you haven't heard part one, go back out and check out the episode prior to this one to get caught up. I really enjoyed both of these conversations with Nick, so let's get over to it. All right. So the last time uh, we were talking about Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, and we talked about the first half of the book. We talked about his his childhood and his adolescence and into maybe his early 20s uh, until he goes into the SEAL program and, and then talks some about, about the SEAL program. And, and he went through Hell Week three times and, and all this stuff. Um, but now, you know, so I've now caught up to you and finished the second half of the book. Um so yeah, I mean, I'll I'll ask you to kind of lead off. I mean, what do you what, what would you talk about in reference to the second half of the book? I mean, I guess it starts with his athletic accomplishments mostly after the SEAL time. Yeah, um, yeah, it finishes out with just kind of um, it seems like he honed himself to be such a driven person, um, and I, to some extent, I think you hear this with military people. They they get out of the service, and it's like, well, what do you do now? Because mm-hmm. they're very regimented and very, you know, um, strict as insofar as when they had to be in the service. And then um, it seems like they go one way or the other once they're um, back stateside or civilians again or whatever it is where that all either completely falls to the wayside or they're still pretty, you know, rigid in their uh, aspirations and whatever. And yeah, he, he found, uh, I guess, running in this example primarily, but. Yeah, well, and I mean, actually, though, I mean, a lot of it he was doing while he was still in the military. He wasn't active duty, like deployed, right? But he's like a recruiter and stuff because he didn't retire till 2015. And I think a lot of these races and stuff are happening well before then. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just kind of framing that with the mm-hmm. anticipation that life is going to transition, and you know, he did. He was recruiting for a while there and that kind of stuff, like you mentioned. Yeah. So, um, if you know. It seems like, given his his accounting of the um, of those events, that guys get kind of shoved off to being recruiters whenever they're you know hurt or on standby or something else, and they're never really very happy about it. They always want to be back out there, right? The job that they originally signed up for, but you know, um, time goes on and our bodies change, so you can't always be you know working at that peak performance level. Uh huh. Yeah, so he so the the so he gets done with SEAL time and is a Navy SEAL and and then at some point in there and I don't remember exactly what chain of events happened where he wasn't deployed because it kind of skips around like he finishes with with SEAL school and then it goes into his stories about these ultra marathons and stuff and then later it goes back in time to a window that I think he hadn't spoken to yet where he talks more about some of his additional military experiences. Um, but anyway, he talked about like, so he, he decides that he wants to do ultra marathons, which are like 
Is that any marathon that's more than 26 miles or is it you know, like a 50 no miler? I, I think maybe yeah. a 50 miler is still an ultra marathon. Um, but yeah, he's doing 100 milers and 130 miles and just insane. Um, and kind of ends up finding how to push himself. Like basically he thought when he went through SEAL school that he was, that he had found maybe his mental limits, if you will. And then through these marathons and stuff found that like, he wasn't even close to his end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's such a, um, that's a very interesting thing, you know, because life is full of so many things that we could spend our time doing, but you know, there's only so much time in everyone's life. You can't do everything and in an effort to find challenges. Um, you know, you can do something that you think is probably the biggest hill you'll ever climb only mm-hmm. to find when you get there that something else gave you a challenge that you in a place that maybe you never even expected to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems like it's kind of how it worked out for him where just as he said, you know, what could be harder than doing, you know, the bud stuff and what all the, <laughs> well, running a hundred miles seems pretty tough to me, but I also haven't done, you know, buds or any of the other stuff either. So, <laughs> right. So I think I might've, so in the book and I'm kind of jumping back to the last episode a little bit, but in the book he talks about, um, how he saw the, like a Navy SEALs TV show originally. And that's what, that's when he was like, I want to do that. Well, I'm pretty sure I found that on YouTube. Um, on YouTube, there is a four hour cut together um, video that is, is Bud's class 234. And I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, his first class was 235. Mm. So I think it might just be the, the the same show that he watched. I will say I'm not inspired to become a Navy SEAL. Oh, I was going to say, did you go, <laughs> go get signed up right away? No, no, I did not. Uh, but but I but you do get to see like kind of what he's describing in the book. You know, kind of see some of the action. So um, yeah, pretty cool. But yeah, if you anyone is interested, you can just go on YouTube and look for. Navy SEAL Buds Class 234, and it'll it'll show up right there. Um, but anyway, just it, it's you're absolutely right that you see Buds and you're just like, and hear him describe Buds and describe Hell Week, and it's like, well, yeah, that is the hardest thing that a person could do. And then he finds himself running. The first race he ran was a hundred mile uh, race, like around a track in San Diego. Yeah, and he says that to this day, that's still the hardest thing that he's ever done. Cause he had not prepared at all before <laughs> deciding to run 100 miles. <laughs> that's wild, isn't it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know, like, so I'm curious to you, like, I mean, you know, he, there are so many stories that he tells about, these different marathons and he eventually goes for the world pull-up record and that does not come easily. And it's just over and over and over again. He just finds himself in basically just pinnacle physical suffering and then comes to find a way mentally to press on and keep going. And if he doesn't, 
like with the pull-ups, he actually just stops short of the record a couple of times, but then keeps coming back. So even if he fails, and sometimes he does just fail, he doesn't really quit. But to you, like, do any of the stories stand out one above the other? Like, I don't know. In my mind, it almost feels like they all kind of tell a pretty similar story, but I don't know if I'm glossing over something, you know? Yeah, no. Um, I, I think they do all tell a similar story, and I think that's intended. Mm. Um, and I like that. You know, I'm, I'm working from a place where I think that that was what, the, what he was trying to do. Sure. Uh, and I appreciate that because, you know, he does take time periodically through the book to say that the story, you're hearing his story, but he's not really trying to tell you a story about him uh, necessarily. It's about, you know, what does that mean and how are these principles applicable within your own life? And, and the recurring theme then is, you know, he, I think in his words, he puts it something like, um, you're not... Oh, what is it? Where you're not done when you you know quit, you're done when you're finished, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so anyway, through his accomplishments there, he demonstrates that this is a transferable skill. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if you you want to play golf or chess or just have better you know whatever relationships or whatever whatever you're doing, set your goal, um, and if you fall short of it adjust and try again and keep going. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And it's constantly, this just this like, you know, like I, I like the idea. He talks about the idea of the cookie jar, um, which the analogy for him is when he was a kid, despite being pretty impoverished, his mom always had a cookie jar that she would stock and then she would let him and his brother, you know, pick out a cookie or whatever. And, um, and he always really cherished that cookie. Like whenever he would take it out, he'd always make sure and look at it and admire it before he ate it. And so then that's what he started doing whenever he found himself in these really adverse situations was he started going to what he calls his mental cookie jar, which is just all the times before that when he pushed himself further than he thought he could go in that moment. Um, which is, it, it's interesting because he doesn't use the language of self-help very much. Um he doesn't use words like affirmations, but that's kind of what he's doing a lot. Right. Like, I mean, it might not be pacing around independent of an activity, just saying affirmations, but in the moment, that's what he retreats to is positive self-talk, not beating himself down because he's tired. Like he's not, he's not spending his energy feeling sorry for himself. He's spending his energy and, and telling himself he's weak or something. He's spending his energy finding strength, frankly, from within his own experiences. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I think affirmations or, you know, it's kind of one of those things where no matter what vehicle you're going to use to get where you're going, um, you either have to find a way to get there or you were going to quit, right? So um, he he pointed his ship in a good direction by searching out things that were empowering um, instead of, you know, generally were empowering instead of, um, based entirely from a place of fear. But yeah, in that cookie jar analogy, um, and to this day, it seems like he's, he does all this running and all these extreme things because he's giving himself reasons to believe that he can accomplish something else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, affirmations is a way to do that. And that's a, that's a unique example where you, it could be something that's not necessarily true yet, but 
if you can get to the point of belief, either by demonstrating to yourself that you've already done something difficult or um, empowering yourself to believe that you, you should be able to do, you know, X. Um, it's kind of getting there in two different ways, but you're getting to the same spot. You need a reason to believe that you can do something in a time when uh, it would be easy to succumb to doubt and quit, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me a long time ago, you and I were having a conversation. You, Neither of us really watch it now. It's unfortunately kind of went the way of, of WWE in a lot of ways. But a long time ago, we used to watch a lot of UFC. And um, I, you you had watched it and were familiar with it before I was. And so when I very first encountered it, you would kind of explain things to me and, and explain who the fighters were and what was going on. And um, I remember asking, like, why don't guys, like, do little stuff like break a guy's thumb, you know, like break your opponent's thumb. Like, cause you, it's not hard to break a finger. Right. And, or why don't you like, why don't they just do these little things that aren't a submission move per se, but that like would suck really bad. And you were like, well, I don't, I think it's because they wouldn't, it's just kind of unnecessarily cruel and you wouldn't actually win from it. Cause the other guy wouldn't quit if you broke his finger. And it was like, but but why? Because like if you, if you broke my finger, I would quit the podcast right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're not even fighting. And uh, <laughs> but anyway, like it it it's it's that same kind of mentality that you that you see within Goggins, where it's like kind of no matter what happens, he's willing to to just persist. But again, I, I got to say, I mean, as I just said right there, like, I think what he's talking about is fascinating. And it's not that I didn't take anything from the book, because I certainly did. But I don't now feel inspired to replicate, which he says over and over that you should not replicate what he did. But I'm not interested in running until I have kidney failure or doing pull-ups until my hand looks like hamburger meat. <laughs> like, do you find yourself after reading this? And, and I mean this as earnestly as I can, but like, do you personally find yourself inspired to push yourself to the kinds of limits that he did physically, or did you not interpret it in that way yourself? Um, well, I, I didn't interpret, I, I didn't necessarily interpret it that way myself, because again, I think the, you know, for him, the physicality aspect is, is a metaphor mm -hmm. the way I'm taking it for, um, what you could be doing in order to assert your, you know, your objectives, your own desires onto yourself in your life. Mm -hmm. So again, take athletics out of it entirely. That just happened to be a thing that worked for him. Um, but it's about just not quitting in pursuit of, you know, some goal, mm -hmm. um, even when it's convenient or might be desirable. Right. So, largely that's kind of what I, took from it much uh, you know i'm not I don't, I don't have any intention to run an ultra marathon either <laughs> but i think it is a good metaphor because it's very it's it's a simple thing you know to go run from point a to point b is a simple thing to describe and the action involved is not you know there's nothing much to it most everyone can do that um so i think it lends itself well to to the you know the metaphor to use it as an analogy or whatever is to say what are you trying to do? Identify how it's done. And then that's the easy part. 
you know, the hard part is going to be, why are you going to push through whenever you find resistance? Because inevitably you will in, in absolutely anything you do in life, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, a, a conversation I've had, and hell, I might have said it last week on the show also. I don't know. I say it all the time because it is the lesson that I keep facing. The two lessons that I face the most right now over and over and over again are this idea that there's like a balance to things. Um, and and then also, I mean, you know, the easiest way to say it's personal responsibility, I guess, or, or accountability, but it's, it's this lesson of like you point one finger out and three point back. Um, and, and that, you know, that that's obviously pretty easy to understand, I think, but, you know, taking it in the context or through the lens of Goggin's stories, you know, he goes to hell week and he gets treated unfairly because they already know him when he comes back. So they PT him harder than other guys for a while, or he goes and does the hundred mile race, the first one, and he hasn't trained at all. So it would be easy, convenient, logical to point to the fact that he hasn't trained for the hundred miles and go, well, I'm going to stop at mile 20 because I, I didn't train. So I'm going to blame that I didn't train and then go with that. But he doesn't like, instead the three fingers are pointing back and he is constantly trying to find a way for him to persist and continue and, and go on. And um, yeah, I, th that lesson just resonates I mean, it resonates in a really personal way and in, in, in trying to do personal achievements and things, but it resonates everywhere. I mean, I was having a conversation the other day with someone for several hours about society, I guess. And we were talking and, you know, they were they were saying, oh, well, we need a, a president who is this kind of person or um, 401ks are scammy and they're set up this way and, and that's wrong. And it should be set up this other way instead. Or the media should be this other way. And to be clear, I've had said similar things about all of these things. So it's not that I'm outside of these thoughts myself, but, but I kept, I kept trying to rebut with, with really that, with this idea of personal responsibility, but, it, but it didn't, I wasn't just saying it that succinctly. And after literally several hours of conversation, it finally clicked with me that like, that's actually the idea that I'm getting to is like the, the the president that we have is the president that the people want. And if that's not true, then what are you doing to convince other people that that's not best? Or if 401ks are bad, well, the reason that they work is because people are willing to participate in them, right? Or if you think the media, which I complain about this on the walk show all the time, the media is too sensational. Well, that's because that's what the public demands because the media is just trying to sell something and PBS offers non-sensational news, but that's not popular, right? <laughs> so CNN doesn't operate like PBS. They operate in a more sensational way where it blends news and opinion. And most of the mainstream media networks do. And, and, and I don't mean to be off on a huge tangent about this, but the point just being that it's like, they're doing it because that's what the people want. So if we don't like it, what are, what are, what are you, what am I doing to affect that or to influence that? And, you know, not one person can can is going to affect massive change in every area. But what have you even done to try? Right. Like, what is what have you even done to see if you can affect that change? And I think that's a question that people are not asking themselves often enough. Again, myself included. So I don't mean to sound preachy, um, but not just in the realm of personal achievement, but in 
all aspects of life. You know, what are, what are you doing right now to, to affect it? Right. And that's, you know, that seems to be the, um, you know, the undertone of, of Goggins book here, like, you know, reading between the lines, that's essentially mm-hmm. what you're, what you get to. Right. And it's, um, it's exactly that it's okay. You have a grievance or a problem or a challenge or whatever you want to, how, how you're going to frame this. Um, if your go-to move is to put your head in the sand, then that's what you'll do. And you'll do it without knowing it. If you haven't conditioned yourself to understand that it's happening because mm-hmm. then you encounter pain, you know, uh, if you try and go against the flow. So, yeah, I mean, it, you, you do literally see it. And I think in every single aspect of, uh, of life and, you know, uh, again, I think it's a human thing. You know, it's not, it's not because you're American or because you're in a first world country or, you know, here, there, or wherever. It's just, that's how people kind of operate. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know, I've listened to some Jordan Peterson stuff and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, you'll have these people who are, uh, he's a behavioral psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they can explain why those things are useful um, it, at points in time, but also it, it winds up being just a knee jerk reaction and you can slip into that so easily that you'll undermine yourself by using a, you know, the eject button on problems when you really need to be able to put your nose to the grindstone and, uh, rhino through it sort of a thing. So, um, yeah, that's, that's certainly my huge takeaway from the book and there's, he gives lots of examples, but it's just so transferable that, uh, it's it's was a great read and i think there's a ton to take away from that for sure yeah i mean i i'm really happy that i listened to it and i probably and (laughs) we'll see if it's if it's sustained or if i just had what he described at the beginning which is just the gogan the the gogans the goggins motivation that doesn't last but last week was the most productive week that i've had in a long time (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and it was david goggins was on my shoulder you know the whole time almost literally uh, i mean it was in my ear i guess but i'm wearing headphones and walking around everywhere and anytime i'm doing any chore or or kind of mindless task around the house i've got that on i found myself putting it on and choosing video games to play for my leisure time that i didn't have to listen to audio on so that i could continue listening <laughs> to the book yeah while i did that or you know what i mean like it was uh, it was definitely a very engaging thing and i mean obviously the, the lessons from it and the, the way you can apply it to your own life is um, I think the point of the book, but the other side of that coin is his life story is just fascinating. Uh, so it's also just a really compelling story about a guy. And I think through the audiobook, even maybe more so because you get those interview segments between. So you really get to hear him respond or react sometimes to it. Cause he's basically having the story read back to him in real time. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, and they speak to this in the audiobook that some, some tidbits there that are not just in print, you know, in the hard copy book. So you get, you get certainly more insight as to what his thought process was at uh, points in time. And then the book tells you what action was taken as a result of that. But um, I really enjoyed the way that they did, did that between you know both of them being present 
um, for the audiobook thing. And then the challenge is part of it too. I, I like actionable steps because, um, uh, you know, it gets, it, it builds momentum, I think for people. And then you have something to kind of work off of to say, well, you know, you can start off and as long as you were doing the steps, you could start off listening to the book and not really even be into it. You don't want to run, you're not physically inclined or whatever. But if you do, you know, the little exercises, the challenges, um, I think you'd find some things out about yourself that would be very applicable to no mm-hmm. matter what you're doing, right? So it's kind of a, a built-in way to um, create value, provide value that, again, you know, it, it takes action. It's funny. Every single thing about it is like, well, you have to do something. Yeah, there was a line that he had. I think it's in somewhere in the middle of the book. And it was just a throwaway line. Like it was, I don't even know that it was supposed to, it's actually, I don't even know that it's in the book. I think it's just part of the conversation they're having. Um, And he's talking about, and he's in one of the races where he's completely broken down and isn't sure if he can go on. And and of course, ultimately prevails in his own mind to do so. But the phrase he uses is that, strategy is the enemy of the moment and that he 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 didn't want to strategize about how he was going to do whatever else needed to happen he just needed to start doing and i thought that that was a that strategy is the enemy of the moment was a really fascinating quote um because it you know now back to the balance thing right like is there a place for strategy like sure you know you shouldn't just slam your head into every wall you can find to see if that one was soft this time or whatever, you know, that doesn't make sense. So certainly you would strategize, but there is certainly a balance to that. And ultimately when you find yourself in a moment of struggle, despair, challenge, whatever word you want to use, action is really what you need, right? Like in the literal moment of now, what action can you take? Um, Not, what strategy can you come up with? That, that's kind of a, a precursor thing, maybe, right? That's something you do before the moment where something needs to happen. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's one of those things where it's that you can, you know, you can act your way. This is to say you can take action. You can act your way into feeling, but it's a lot harder to feel your way into acting. Yeah. So, you know, sure, as just as you said, obviously strategy has a place, but, you know, in, in business and in real estate, we, uh, with, you know, newer investors or people who are even experienced who are moving into some, you know, a uh, separate, you know, slot of the, whatever the asset class might be, but a new strategy, people get what is referred to as analysis of paralysis or paralysis mm-hmm. analysis, rather. Um, same kind of thing, right? Like at some point you need to be as informed as you can be, but you really can't get very much more informed until you fall off the bike. Right. So right. you got to take what you can, um, try it and then just see what happens. And, mm-hmm. and that's how progress is made. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's got a ton of, of really good, you know, bits of wisdom here and there. And a lot of it has been, kind of trial by fire seems where he had to go out there and take action and to, he'll even admit uh, like in the case of being entirely unprepared for the first 100 or the 24 hour run that he did 100 yeah. miles or whatever totally unprepared and that was a bad plan uh, right so and he freely admits that so okay great fall off the bike figure out where you went wrong adjust and try again provided 
that goal is still something that's, that's important to you, right? Yeah, well, and, and just to be clear for anyone who's not familiar with these stories or hasn't had a chance to read or listen to the book, like when, when he's when he's talking about, you know, he was unprepared. It's not like when I'm unprepared to walk up the big hill by my house and I'm a little out of breath at the end. Like he's he's in the fetal position in a bathtub at the end of it with possible kidney failure, right? Like it's <laughs> it's it's the ultimate physical breakdown it's precipice of death kind of thing yeah and interestingly you know i don't know a ton about long distance runners i've heard snippets here and there but um as far as i'm aware you know uh, runners will describe it as being a, a, a activity that is pain management essentially um at some point when you're way out in the miles you know 60 70 80 miles it's about how they can tolerate pain and muscle death and kidney failure and that stuff. Those are all pretty common, actually. And these, this is people who train. You know? Right. So uh, to have not trained, you know, obviously the guy's in pretty good shape in the first place being active and in the military and all this kind of stuff. But um, it's a different beast. You go try and run 100 miles, and I'm sure, you know, if you haven't been doing a lot of that, you're not ready. Right. Right. I'm pretty sure if I went and ran a mile, I would come back home and lay in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, but that's just because you hurt your own feelings. You weren't, you weren't having kidney failure yet. You were just... I, well, we don't know that. You know what I mean? We don't know that. And we won't for some time because I'm not going <laughs> to go run. But... There's so many good lessons there, but then I also appreciate, you know, so he goes back and, and like I said, after he kind of talks about, well, I, before I move on, actually, was there anything else? I mean, I know you, you know, you have some bullet points and things that you're wanting to discuss. Did you have anything else that we haven't touched on in the, that kind of exercise or marathon space yet? Cause I don't mean to move on too quickly. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, we, we kind of were getting into touching on this right now, actually, uh, just to reiterate, I really appreciated the what he kind of coins as the forty percent rule, sort of a thing, and that mm. you know, ties in with the running. But again, it's transferable to any anything you might do. It's um, it's remarkable how quickly people are willing to throw in the towel whenever they find resistance, and that's not you know specific to running or physicality at all, just anything. Mm -hmm. um, so he demonstrated that by running to the point of the kidney failure, as we were talking about, but. Uh, just an interesting thing, an interesting way to become aware of that fact. And for that, you know, we'll call it a fact, but the, the point that you can go further than you thought, at least, whatever the percentage is. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I don't know, it seems rare that you stumble on something that's so profoundly true and demonstrable uh, in every facet of life. That's definitely right. a nugget that he dug up uh, running, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, well, and so just, I mean, to be clear, and it might be obvious, but the 40% rule is that basically most people are using about 40% of their potential at any given time. Like you could be, not not that you could be doing 10% more or 5% more, you could be doing 60% more is what he 
is just speculating. Um, and he found that after going through Navy SEAL training multiple times and actually discovered it. I think when he finally first kind of came to understand this principle was when he was doing that first hundred mile run because he thought he thought he was done a couple of different times and then still managed to finish. And that's when he was like, well, but, but I actually thought I couldn't finish and nothing changed. And I did other than my mind. And so that's kind of what unlocked this, this idea of this 40% rule for him. Um, now he does not advocate that you try and go recoup that 60% tomorrow. Uh, he, he yeah. suggests that's what he did, <laughs> which is kidney failure. Um, but he's suggests incrementally working up to it. So if you have something that you're doing that, you know, you, you do something and you find it challenging and, and that could be reading. So maybe you read and you read 30 pages and you're like, okay, I'm pretty tired of reading. We'll try and read another three pages. That'd be a 10% increase. Right. But just continue to, to see. And then the next week read another and next go on and on. And so you build up this, this capacity um, for, achievement accomplishment for for completing things yeah and all still while you know making sure that you're moving in the direction of goals that you want to accomplish you know obviously you don't uh it's not as though you should get to a point where you're having to read you know three hundred thousand pages a day because your 10 percent increase has just gotten you there <laughs> but uh, right. you know whatever whatever it is you're trying to accomplish in life um it's just easy to quit and it's, you know, uh, stifling if you give up on your, on yourself too early, because often it seems your goals are within our reach. If we just kind of go just a little bit further and mm-hmm. adapt, grow, change your plans from there or whatever. So I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I guess I will also touch on the, the pull up thing a little bit more just cause it, that story was crazy. He, learns that the 24 hour pull-up record is 44,020, I think. Um, and so he sets out to do it and does like 1500, no 1800. I don't know. I think it's something like that the first time and his body just breaks down pretty much completely. And so he looks at the situation after he, after he fails and, and has to leave and, and stop and changes some of the equipment around. Like he thought the pull-up bar had too much give in it and, and changes some stuff so that he can try again two months later and tries again two months later. And he gets farther. He gets like 700 more in, but he's still way off the goal. And I mean, like I said, I mean, he said his, he said he, he would take his gloves off and his, or the tape off his hands, whatever it was. And it's just layers of skin peeling off with this tape. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was, <laughs> that was pretty gut wrenching. Yeah. And then two months later comes back and breaks the record. So he, ha- he fails twice. He fails, comes back in two months, fails, comes back in two months, succeeds. What you do, you're trying to do that many pull-ups and trying again for the record in that short of a time. Like that's crazy. That's <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Get his eye on the prize, I guess. Yeah, well, he's literally listening to the Rocky song the whole time. Yeah. So I guess it's Eye of the Tiger. But um, anyway, 
Well, so what I was going to move to though is is so he then kind of goes back to his his military career because because after he was in SEALs, he got put in a platoon um, where he got put in charge of doing of administering the the physical training the PT um, on a daily basis and I mean he's a SEAL and so he's with other SEALs but he is pushing them way harder than most of them are comfortable. Like most of them would just want to lift weights, I guess is what he explains. Um, but he's putting them through, and I don't know if it's exactly like buds, but bud style training. And they come to him and they're like, I mean, his, his officers come to him and they're like, you gotta, you gotta stop this. Like you're, you're alienating people and it's not necessary and whatever. And he kind of loses a lot of respect, at least at that point in time for, those individuals. I mean, not the SEAL organization as a whole, but at least those individuals. But I thought it was interesting because the point that he kind of makes is that he had put them up on this pedestal, the, the, all Navy SEALs, that like, this is the elite of the elite, period. And then once he actually gets there and 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 tries to push them, not that they're not elite still, and he, he does make that point that, you know, all of them are SEALs, and that is true. But a lot of them are happy that they accomplished being a SEAL, and they're good with that. Like, they don't need to go back and test themselves as much as they possibly can again. Like, they're not interested in that. And I, I just thought it was an interesting point to make, especially in that context where they're where they're that accomplished and that hardcore, in quotes, because it, it, it just speaks to, like, you shouldn't idolize people. Like, you don't know who people are, and the truth is, is that the vast majority of people are still just people kind of no matter what they've done right now. Goggins might be <laughs> Superman. I don't know, but, uh, but most of these people aren't, aren't that. And, and it's easy, especially in our culture of celebrity to idolize someone who, you know, very little about and assume that their life works in one way. And it's like, you don't know that. And, and, and my point just being, so it's irrelevant to try and compare yourself to that because you're probably wrong about who they are anyway, because you don't know. So instead, just keep focused on yourself and what you're interested in doing and challenging yourself. Yeah, so to, um, you know, on that thread, he talks about that with one of his runs where he says he came up short or he, he you know, got distracted and didn't finish the, the competition as well as he'd intended or he wanted to because he wasn't running his race anymore. So this this might have been when he's you know in the chapter where he kind of calls it uh, taking souls or I think is, mm-hmm. but and he talks about how you know you get in your own head and you you put these people up on a pedestal as you said that is what society thinks they are and without any further questioning you just decide well they must be invincible so how am I going to stack up to that well that's a defeatist mentality that you're already going in with. So it's no wonder you come up short. You you weren't convinced that you could win in the first place. So how are you going to give it your all? Mm-hmm. Right. So he's talking about how, um, you know, if you're keeping up with somebody who's in front of you in a race and you're constantly measuring what they're doing against what you're doing, then um, they're in your head and you're now running their race instead of running right. their race. And that's not helpful for you because you need to be able to beat your time and you know do better for for yourself and maybe that leads to beating them and hopefully if it's a competition or whatever um but i I really appreciated that part of that too because yeah you you 
he, he talks about that with the seals and um, how that did alienate him. You know, he got, there was some, he was ostracized and kind of, um, he separated himself from everybody else in, in a way that was not beneficial for him, you know, per his description of those events because mm-hmm. of pushing so hard. Um, but he was trying to maintain what he thought was the the thing that these elite people accomplish. And um, they weren't there with him anymore. They weren't into that. <laughs> right. Well, and, and even, I mean, and, and, you know, it's not like they just got mad at him. He got mad at them right back. And so he then spends, I think, a couple of years basically having really nothing to do with those guys. I mean, he, he was still part of the team. So when it came to, to whatever work thing that he needed to do, he still did his part. So it's not like he was quitting on them. But, like, he's not going to hang out with them. He's not going to – he's not trying to repair or build those relationships. Right. Um, but I thought that was interesting because, you know, so much of the book is about the individual and 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 that. And I, I did I did think that that was an interesting lesson in, like, the, the social dynamics of things and how, you know, and if you don't care about that or you don't, you're not interested in having some social thing, then – then fine. But for him, it ultimately backfires because he then feels that later, that's why he's not able to advance anymore because he really wasn't, he said he, the way he describes it was he was a part of the team of the seals, but he wasn't a part of the brotherhood. And that, that, you know, when you get into groups, being a part of the group matters. Right. And if, and and again, you don't have to, but you're going to be limited probably in how far you go in that group. Yeah. um, If you do that. And so then by the end of the book, that's not really where he's at anymore. I think when he's doing a lot of the things that he talks about in the book, he probably was looking down his nose at most other people. Um, but by the end of the book, he's, he's not. And that largely is the result of him thinking that he's going to die. Uh, and it didn't really ever say what it was from. Like, yeah, no, it, it, he, he spoke to the, he had some, uh, obvious like lumps, cramps, you know, something. He didn't ever call them tumors, for instance, but it was some sort of he calls know, them knots. Yeah, stress accumulation. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How yeah, like on his that. hips and on his neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, and so he's in pain all the time, and then he and then he thinks he's he's dying because he goes to the doctors, and they're like, we can't, like, we don't know what's wrong with you. Either either you're making it all up and you're a hypochondriac, or you're dying and we don't really know from what. And he just kind of comes to peace with everything through that experience. And I thought that was really interesting to, to hear him talk about because it, it's not him being, it's not soft. Like that's not the right word, but it's just, it's just finally you get to see David Goggins not. He, I mean, he says he finally had time to reflect and that's kind of, it's, it is kind of the first time in the whole book that you really hear him reflect on something other than in the context of reflecting on something to figure out how to get more out of it. Well, yeah, it's, it's true reflection instead of like internal deliberation or something, you know, he's not trying to break something down to figure out what the sum of its pieces are and say, which one of these needs sharpened, Mm -hmm. improved, whatever, slap it back together and charge ahead. It's um, accepting things for what they are, knowing that, that's all that mm-hmm. there is to be said about it. One of the things they mentioned uh, as I was kind of recapping and listening to some of this today was um, 
they, they're describing it as a story of extreme vulnerability, not uh, a, a story of being how, of how macho you can be sort of a thing. And I thought that was a good takeaway. Um, and I forgot that it happens. I mean, they, they talk about it at some length and it's one of the off the cuff things kind of between chapters, but they do a good job of describing that, which is kind of a, um, a precursor to, as you're talking about by the end of the book where it, it's more of that, you know, more extreme vulnerability. Um, because really to face down a lot of the things that he had to do, you had, you know, he had to be aware of them in the first place, which means you're facing your shortcomings and working on your weaknesses. And if you don't know what they are and aren't admitting that they're there, then you, you can't work on them because you right. still are denying them. Right. Um, but yeah, certainly by the time it gets to the end of the book and it's, you know, you see this guy who's accomplished all these big things and then all of a sudden he's got an adversary to fight that's the, you know, uh, entirely elusive. You know, it's not something that you can do more of, uh, at least so far as he knew right. initially, to overcome. So, and, you know, that that was an interesting piece for me because, you know, in all of our lives, we end up eventually with something that is literally outside of everyone's control. And that happens, you have no idea when it's going to happen, right? So for a lot of people, you might not have this sort of a thing until very late in life. You know, you get people who are on their deathbed and it's the first time I've ever been to the hospital. And then they're thinking, wow, I wish I had done this, that, or whatever else. And the world, their world's different. Um, and then for some people it happens earlier and, the perspective that you get, uh, I think is really useful provided that you can remain positive and, you know, get healthy again or whatever mm -hmm. happens as far as that. But interesting to see, you know, you're going to go out and run a hundred miles with no training uh, and you, you will your way through it. And then you get sidelined by something that no one saw coming or, and tells you they can't fix. And that's just right. That, you know, that's a, that's a heavy thing to have to, uh, have to contend. Well, with, so. you know, something that we we failed to mention, but that, that comes earlier in the story, uh, he's he's doing these runs and whatever, and then at one point his heart rate starts going crazy. Like it'll go from like one fifteen to like two thirty, and then back down to one fifteen. And then I, mean, I didn't even know, frankly, that a person's heart could go to over two hundred without just explode. I, I I don't know what the limits of the heart are apparently, but but anyway, and so he goes to the doctor and finds out that he has a hole in the in one of the walls of his heart and he was like well how do you get that and the doctor's like well you don't you were born with it and so it's like he i think when that happened he thought that he had like faced mortality and overcome it right because he has the heart surgery and then returns but then a few years later it, it comes comes back again and now it's not his heart and they can't diagnose it and to your point it's entirely elusive and entirely not in his control and not something that he can <laughs> study on how to beat, but ultimately does actually find within himself. And, and I, you know, I don't know how much of it's placebo, which I say that not dismissively. I think placebo is a very powerful thing that should be looked for, not <laughs> disregarded because it's not quote unquote real because it is real. But anyway, like he, he starts stretching a lot. He has all these knots and he starts committing himself to stretching, but not for like 10 minutes, like 12 hours a day, six hours a day. And within 
weeks and then and then that turns into months he actually kind of the knots go away and his body being in pain all the time goes away and he's able to return to work and starts doing marathons again and does actually find a way to bounce back so i guess obviously he's not dead since he wrote the book but (laughs) (laughs) But yeah i don't know i I thought that the stuff him talking about kind of coming to peace with things when he was facing his own death and he kind of comes to realize that like yeah, maybe that was an ideal that those other SEALs didn't want to do what he did. But his response to that by pouting and being mad at them for the next two years, that was his choice. That was his fault. That was on him that that's how he reacted to it. So I thought there was a lot of wisdom. Yet again, it's the he can point at them and say, it's your fault because you're not willing to train as hard as I am. But that's not really the reason the relationship's broken. The reason the relationship's broken is because he's not willing to to try and make a bridge, you know? He's just trying to slam the door in their face because he's mad at them. But then he also talks about how, you know, because at the beginning of the story, like we talked about previously, is all about how his childhood was super hard and he was kind of a, a letdown to himself for a long time. And so in that, he also finally kind of learns to forgive himself and to be at peace with his own journey and his own character and not be ashamed of the the weak person that he was and understand that despite all of that he's become who he is um and i thought that was really important too because for me personally that's been all i mean the podcast i did at the end of the year in 2019 was called the most important lesson of 2019 and it was all about having empathy for yourself um and that's that's kind of what he's speaking to there and i just i think that's a really powerful thing as well and i thought it was really fascinating to hear it from i mean it's it, maybe it's not surprising for someone like me to want to <laughs> need to learn self-empathy because I'm I'm soft, but this dude, like, he's as hard as they come, and same thing applies. Still true for him, which just goes to show that it spans all people. It's not it's not just based on your personality or you know any specific trait about you. Yeah, I mean it, it's just an interesting journey, and as you said, you there's lessons to be learned. I, I think. Uh, you know, again, we're not we're not old guys or anything yet, but probably for all of life, right? You always yeah. continue to learn. It's excellent to be able to get information from people who have gone where you haven't been, and and you know, in lots of cases, probably won't go. You know, we're not going to join the military or whatever else. But that those lessons that can get extracted from that can still be shared and understood um, without us having to do all of the you know the legwork to get there. And then to see, like you say, a guy that's that that hard and hardened to have to come back and look at life through the lens that everyone will yep. be at at some point, right? And you realize that our paths might go very different directions at some point, but they all kind of end in more or less the same spot. Uh, similar spots mm-hmm. to one another somewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely.
so this, you know, as I said, I think it's probably the beginning of the the first conversation we had about it. I mean, this is the first audiobook nonfiction I've ever listened to. I I thought it was great. Um, and you know, I haven't read a ton of of quote unquote self help or personal development books. I've I've read a couple, um, but they're you know, one is is all about cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's it's pretty specific and it's written by a psychologist. And another one is Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Wilnick, who's another Navy SEAL, but he's not telling his own story really. It, it's more like a, a set of instructions for how to approach situations and, and why it's important. But he, and when he shares stories, it's other stories. Um, but this one, man, like, you know, I've heard it said before. I think, I think I heard Joe Rogan talk about it, about how like, Goggins and Jocko and, and these kind of guys, but I, I would say especially Goggins are like <laughs> the most legit self-help guys because it's not, none of it's theory. You know what I mean? Like, and again, I'll just say with Goggins specifically, like it's not, it's not speculation. Like he's, he's lived it. It's all based on examples. It's all the, it's all been proven already. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's, I mean, uh, yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot of truth to, the the inspiration that you can draw from it because it's so vulnerable the word you used is great and, and just honest and earnest and i don't yeah i don't know i i've, I've definitely never read anything or i think i didn't read i listened to it but i've never never consumed anything like <laughs> david goggin's book or life story yeah uh, one of the uh, you know i keep saying one of the things he says right one of the things he says um but yeah, that I really appreciate is he, he's talking about to not put labels on him. He's like, you know what, you, you have your opinions and I have mine and whatever, but don't put labels, you know, on me. And he's David Goggins saying us because exactly what you said when he was mad at the other, the rest of the SEAL teams and everything. And we're, we think this or that or about these celebrities or whoever. And the truth is, you know, I think Jocko um, and then also Goggins here and, these stories about these guys who are just straight up warriors, right? These are compelling because our, the label we're putting on them is that they're tough dudes. That's who they are professionally. So we're starting there. So to hear them take you through a story where there is some vulnerability, people immediately pick up on that, right? Cause you're already sold into mm-hmm. who you think they are, but all of that's fake. That that's false. He, you know, he'll say um, periodically throughout that, that, you know, they're, they're normal guys or they're, you know, uh, average guys doing yeah. on average things. So the point is that it, it's, it can be empowering. And these, these stories, stories that are good stories that are well told that are, you know, what you might call self-help motivation or whatever. Um, you know, I've been through quite a lot of them, um, but there are some good ones and there are some bad ones, but all the good ones, they do a good job of walking you through where they came from. Um, and that empowers people in my opinion, because it, it tears away those labels and says, I'm not who I am today because I'm more talented than you. It's simply that I had to take inventory of what I did have, what I didn't have, you know, bust my butt and, uh, implement a plan and with repetition to accomplish something. So you, I really appreciated that where it's, you know, common people doing uncommon yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's a, that's a, an excellent point. Also, you know, he constantly talks about throughout, like, it's not because he has a unique 
willpower that he was born with because the David Goggins that we all are familiar with now is not the David Goggins that he was before he joined the seals really before he lost a hundred pounds in three months. Right. Like he, that was his problem was that he didn't have any consistency or any discipline. He, he didn't have any quote unquote willpower or grid or whatever. And, and so it, it's not something that he just innately had. It's something that he trained himself to have over a long period of time and over a lot of <laughs> a whole book of stories. I mean, that's, that's what the whole book is. It's, it's his <laughs> path of training his mind to, to overcome in his case, all these physical things. But, um, but I think that's important too, because I think that especially in, in the modern day, there's constantly this talk of like, like this guy's got it or he doesn't, or, you know, this guy's this kind of person or this guy's this kind of person. And it's like, it's all nonsense actually, because yeah. they might be acting like that kind of person, but it's not because they're not capable or if they are capable, it's not because they just got that. It's, it's, it's because they, they created it, uh, which means anyone can create it, right? It's empowering. Like it's, it's available right. to, to everyone. Well, it's so interesting because, you know, what did, what do you call that? The cognitive dissonance sort of a, a thing where you can uh, identify something as what it is in one case, right? And totally overlook it in uh, a separate case, but the same mechanism right. really is at play. So um, nobody, you know, if someone that you've known for years shows up at your front door and they're like, I've reinvented myself and now I don't do any of the things you know about, it's all separate uh, or different now, changed. That seems strange to everybody and perhaps it's abrupt, right? But so maybe even rightly so. Um, but that's an example of someone who could be taking entirely different actions to, you know, today than they were yesterday. Um, and that seems not doable. Or, you know, we have people who come and they want to turn their life around. They say, you know, I, I want to go to university or something and no one in their family has done it. And they get beat down and said, why do you think you're going to try and become something else and all this, right? So it's as though there's this pressure where people can't change or, or won't change. But, um, you know, then you have circumstances where, um, what was it around here? You know, we have these teenage kids that, uh, go hilltopping and out in the country. And, uh, you know, unfortunately each and every year there's more cases of, you know, high school fatalities from these people, you know, running into trees, running into each other. It's, it's bad news, but sadly, you know, it's sad to begin with. Right. But sadly, there's usually, you know, one of these kids in these vehicles live. So now they're very different today, you know, yep. today than they were yesterday. Happened and everyone gets yep. that, right? But we have a big enough, the reason I tell all of that as a very extreme story is that you can train yourself to have a big enough reason uh, that will develop a new belief so that you can do new things. Um, but people will disagree with, with that. They'll say, well, no, that's not who you are. Right. And that's just not true. You just don't have a big enough belief yet. So you either build it over time or it gets changed on you drastically. Like if you have friends who have, you know, catastrophic things happen to them and you lose friends some way or another, whatever it might be. Um, and that changes you. And no one denies that you're a little bit different now whenever you tragedy right. enters your life. Right. Um, 
so anyway, I, all of that to say that it's an interesting thing where we can we can understand how you can be changed by something uh, if it's drastic enough. But then when people want to introduce incremental change or try and become something else, they get this downward pressure from people. And it takes a lot of, you know, what you might refer to as grit or willpower or whatever um, that has to be developed more slowly. And it, as such, is more vulnerable to, um, you know, getting assassinated along the way so that you never wind up changing them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. It really is cultivating that belief. Uh, I've, I, I, this is such a stupid example, but it, it, I think it illustrates the point though. I mean, and I've, I think I've shared this story with you before, but you know, when I was in high school, I've worn contact lenses for a long time. And uh, when I was a, a teenager, I slept in my contacts constantly. And, and I would tell my eye doctor that, and they would say, well, why are you doing that? And I was like, I mean, I want to take my contacts out. I just don't think about it. I just, I get tired. I go to bed and I'm asleep and I just, I wake up and it's like, oh my God, I didn't take my contacts out. I just, it doesn't cross my mind. And, and so I was justifying it with it. It's like, well, it's just my routine and blah, blah, blah. Well, then I got an eye infection and I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, um, you do realize that an eye infection like this can just cause blindness. And I was like, wait, really? Cause I'd had an eye infection before, but I'd never heard that. And I thought it just was uncomfortable and sensitive to light for a few days until the medicine worked. And then it was fine. And the doctor was like, yeah, no, this can totally just cause blindness and that's irreversible. So you really shouldn't sleep in your contacts anymore. I've never slept in my contacts again since that day. And it didn't take anything to do with routine changing or I didn't have to write notes to remind myself or download an app. There weren't smartphones yet, but I didn't have to set timers to tell myself I net my belief changed. I fundamentally now believe that I was going to go blind and I didn't think that was on the table before. But once I had a new belief, guess what? I had a brand new behavior pattern that took no negotiation <laughs> with myself. You know what I mean? And again, right. You didn't yeah. Have have and again, it's, it's a small example because it's, it's putting, taking your contacts in and out. So I get that. And I don't mean to compare it to some of these larger undertakings, but I think the underlying principle is still true where it's like behavior shifts because belief shifts. And so if you don't have someone to tell you, well, you're getting ready to go blind if you don't stop today, then like you were just describing, you do maybe have to build it over a more incremental time. And it can be more vulnerable because it's not, there's not some, um, I, I, can't, I can't think of the, the right word. I want to say touchstone, but that's not right. But there's not some flashpoint moment that, you know, that drilled it into you. Instead, you develop it by drilling it into yourself and, and, and believing it over time. Yeah, it's like walking through fog or something. Like you, you know you're trying to get somewhere and you can't see it yet. So you're susceptible to being demoralized because it's true that you don't, your goal is so is not tangible yet. So then it's susceptible to mm -hmm. everyone else beating you down. And, and it might be true because you don't know you're walking yep. in fog. Right. Whereas, yeah, things that happen immediately, well, you've got a result, you've, you've got cause and effect and you, it's a, the whole story has been told, you know, there's no veil to have to mm -hmm. look beyond yet. So, um, it's, you know, there's, there's just so much to life. And there's like, like we said earlier, these lessons that people continue to learn, and there's always another hill to climb. But uh, I think the mental toughness that is the point 
in insofar as my you know interpretation of, of this book um the mental toughness if you can understand that you're going to face adversity then whenever it shows up and in my experience it oh. it will show up right uh, you don't have to be so vulnerable when you're walking through that fog. You can admit freely that, hey, I don't know the, the right answer yet or the solution yet. That doesn't mean I'm going to throw my hands right. up in the air and quit. So I'll take trials and tribulations as they come and yep. we're going to keep moving. And forward. this isn't the first time that I've been in fog, right? And that's true for, I think, everyone, right. whether you think it's true for you or not. Like, at some point you've been in a situation that you were uncomfortable in and negotiated it, whether it was when you were a little kid and it was your first day of school or what, I mean, whatever it is at some point and probably many, many, many points you've been in the fog before. Um, this is, a, this is a weird point to make potentially, but it's like when this COVID stuff all started and I had a friend telling me that he just, he felt like he didn't know how to plan for things anymore because everything's so uncertain now and and now how can you make arrangements and i was like i i understand that sentiment but i think that's maybe actually one of the lessons of covid is that it's not actually more uncertain than it was before like now there's a new element of uncertainty that maybe we didn't have before but uh, i mean and i don't mean this in a flippant or dismissive way but car wrecks happen all the time right like things happen that are uncertain or that were unpredicted that completely change and sometimes end the course of lives. And we were already planning in the face of chaos. We were already living on the edge of uncertainty. I think COVID really brought that to the limelight. Um, but it was there the whole time. So, so my point to him was like, you should, don't, don't lose faith in yourself. Like you've already been living uncertainly and and i don't mean that as a criticism like <laughs> life is uncertain the world is uncertain. yeah it's just yeah, the truth of our circumstances exactly. we don't know everything and we're in much less control of things than yeah. it would seem you know if you do no digging then it seems like things are just all <laughs> right. peachy keen but um yeah things can change on the drop of a dime and and that's yeah. just what it is sometimes no well was there anything else that you wanted to, to cover uh from from the text uh, no, I, uh, I think, uh, I, I think that, you know, was a good, whatever we covered it and we kind of, kind of worked through some of the things that we liked. So, uh, I thought it was a great, you know, listen, I guess mm -hmm. in this scenario, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm listening to it for a second time now, just, I like to kind of go over things a few times sometimes and make sure I soaked up all the points that I wanted to kind of wrap my head around, um, but it's a great book. So I would, I mean, it's certainly one that I would recommend to anybody. Um, so, you know, yeah, one more feather to put in my cap and hopefully take some lessons from that and keep moving forward. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. I, I highly recommend it as well. And I mean, there are some kind of harsh details. I mean, depends on what you're talking about, but, but largely for a guy who's got a 20 year career in the military, like it's not filled with war stories. I mean, he goes to war with himself all the time, but it's not filled with stories of actual war. So it's not filled with violence or anything like that. So it, 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 it I don't, again, the beginning has some of that in it with his childhood and some pretty dark things there. But once you get into his, his adult life, which is the majority of the book, um, it's not, it's not, it's not unappealing to someone if someone is sensitive to that in that way. So I, I would recommend this book to, to any and everyone. 
Um, he's he's definitely a very inspiring character, and uh, yeah, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad I watched Joe Rogan so I could find out who David Goggins was because otherwise <laughs> I would have never known. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Thanks, thanks for joining me for this, Nick. It's been a it's been a real blast, man. Yeah, absolutely.
All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Nick Cunningham for coming by and recording both of those episodes with me on this book. Uh, Of course, thank you, Misha, for the music. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening to the show. I also want to invite you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which I co-host with Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we talk about why gaming matters. You can find it on any podcast platform. Again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Stay up. (laughs) 